Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Maggie. How's it going? Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Inside Out Money. For those who might be new here, this is a personal finance podcast focused on redefining wealth from the inside out. Each week, I speak with a rotating set of co-hosts about a different financial topic to help you improve your financial mindset and tactics. And today we've got Andrew. And in this episode, we are going to talk through what Andrew calls the investment walk. I've also heard people call it like the financial order of operations, fun like Foo Fighter reference there, FOO. But the idea is specific recommendations for the order that you should do things in to start building wealth and getting to financial freedom or just a much better place in your personal finances. I get this question all the time, Andrew, where people are asking how to get started and what they should do first. Like, well, should I max out my 401k first or should I open a Roth IRA or should I, you know, how much should I have in my emergency fund? And then do do I have to do that first or should, you know, and and like kind of like what we did in our last episode together around do you pay off your mortgage or invest, right? And so I just think this is an incredibly common question. And look, there's no perfect order to this, but I do think there's some generally accepted principles of what makes the most sense to do things in. Would you agree? Yeah, this is uh, this is a fun topic. I really like it. I too also get questions on this from various friends and family members. And, you know, while this is not, this is my opinion, right? Others uh, may have a different opinion, but I think this is something thing that can apply to most people and I think it it's a it's pretty close to the path that we have followed and and I think it's it's worked out well and it, it's it's kind of what what I recommend people how people approach the whole concept of how do I get started building wealth yeah so this is a good time to since you just said this is your opinion Andrew just a little disclaimer for people Andrew and I are not financial professionals we are sharing our personal opinions and beliefs we We don't know any of your specifics. Andrew's really good at riding bicycles super fast. I'm not really sure what I'm really good at, but I early retired at the age of 41, so perhaps something. You can decide if you want to take our advice or not, but this is our personal opinion and you should consult a professional if you want something that is specific to you. But we're going to do our best to tell you what we've done, like you said, and what we recommend doing. And in addition to riding bicycles really fast, Andrew's rocking a pretty nice staff right now. (laughs) Or mustache, as some people might call it. It's Movember, right? So you're doing this to raise money? Correct. A group of guys at work decided to do it and roped me into it. So yeah, we're uh, raising money for in support of uh, men's health. And you don't get to, this is, this is in support of prostate cancer, right? Correct. Okay. I like how people call it men's health. I'm like, you're balls, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) 
But yes, men's health. Okay. So this is one of the things I will say I miss about work is I I actually like have fond memories of Movember at work and the like crazy facial hair that some of my coworkers grow. Like shout out to Gareth who used to, he had a lot of facial hair to work with, but he used to grow the craziest things and he would like do a competition where somebody on the team got to choose how he would shave it at the end of the month and it, and it could make him look like, they would make him look like a complete idiot for the day and do just like the craziest uh, different thing anyways it's a it's a great cause so and you look very professional and now you can give some financial advice to people yep sounds good let's talk let's talk about the investment walk yeah all right let's jump into it so first step on the investment walk is you actually have to have some savings right and so if you think about it, you can't start this if you are upside down on the income to spending, right? Essentially your lifestyle. So if, you're, if your lifestyle is above what your income is, you're upside down. And so to start this, you have to have essentially a, you have to have some money at the end of the month, right? So either you have to be making more money or you have to be spending less to create that gap. So you actually have some money to start the walk. So that's, that's step one is, is you have have to have some savings. And Andrew, I think it's worth double clicking on that point. So again, there's so many nuances to people's individual situations. But another way to say what you just said is if someone's like, well, why wouldn't I, you know, pay myself first and invest in my 401k? But if you're in the point where you are living paycheck to paycheck and you have no emergency fund and then something happens and yeah, maybe you've been great and, and it's better than nothing that you've put money in your 401k. But if you now can't pay your bills and can't pay some emergency car repair or medical thing or whatever it might be, you're now likely paying a really high interest rate that's higher than anything you would make in the market usually on a on a credit card or even if you had to take like a 401k loan, which I would never recommend. It's it's at a really high rate usually. Yeah. And so the you know the amount that you have to start the walk, it can be any amount, right? We don't we're not talking about massive sums here, right? It, it's just It'd be fifty bucks. Right. Fifty dollars, right? So if you have you you're making you have two thousand dollars a month of expenses and you're making you're bringing home $2100 a month you now have $100 to to invest and play with in terms of starting the walk with $100 a month and you, and you can start with just that and so step 1 is you have to create that gap between your income and your expenses so step 1 once you've figured that out and made the adjustments to your lifestyle so you have so you have that gap step 2 is the emergency fund that you just mentioned right and so I recommend that you have six months of expenses in your emergency fund. And, you know, it's going to vary. That amount is going to be varied by your lifestyle. And and how long it takes you to accumulate six months of expenses is going to vary by by how big that gap is. And so that's, that's step two is to have that emergency fund. So like you said, when the water heater breaks, when the car breaks down, that you're not going into debt, right? This is the key to breaking the debt cycle of constantly having to pay super high interest rates, either on a credit card or on anything else, right? The worst possible being like a payday loan or something like that. But having that building and establishing that emergency fund is key to breaking the, the debt cycle. Yeah. And I, I think we would both recommend keeping that emergency fund in a high yield savings account. Absolutely. Especially right now, because yes. rates like, I don't, what, what are you getting? What, what bank are you at? Ally. I think I'm high right fours now? for, for yeah. more mid four, probably mid fours. It's not as good as Wealthfront. At, at, I'm getting 5.5% yeah. at Wealthfront. I know. Right I need 
it's, it's five percent standard, and then point five percent for six months if you're on any referral, which you can get from us or anybody. Yeah, I need to use Greg's referral link and uh, and get on on Wealthfront. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's like a solid extra percentage versus Ally right now. And I, the other thing I love about Wealthfront is they've consistently been ahead of the pace on having a, the highest rate for the last couple years. So I feel confident they'll continue and it doesn't cost anything to switch. So you can always pop somewhere else if they have better rates. Yep. All right. So you've, you're controlling your lifestyle, you've invested into a high yield savings account and you've built your six month emergency fund. The next step is paying off all of your debts except for the mortgage. So I'm a, I've, I've always been very risk, uh, risk averse, debt averse. And so I've always taken that approach of got to be debt free except for the house to to begin investing. And this one is a little bit controversial, right? Some people would say, well, what about student loans? And yeah, you could probably make an exception for student loans, but most other consumer debt is high interest consumer debt. Now, if you have, if you've got a car, an interest-free car loan for a period of time where you get interest-free for a year or some promotion, or they offer you a super special rate that's 2% or something that's really low, I think you can make some exceptions for that. But generally, I'm a, I'm a strong believer that you want to be debt free except for the house before you you start making making investments. Yeah, and look, use your common sense here. We talked about this in the last episode we did together about mortgages of, you know, if 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 we had a 2-3% mortgage, which many people have still, we might consider a split between how fast we're paying our mortgage off and when we're investing, right? It is it is a toss up. So I mean, I think on all of these an important point is don't get hung up on like the specifics, right? This is a walk you can meander a little bit. You're generally moving in the right direction yep. is what you want to be. I often will get questions from people where they're like debating like six months or seven months or eight months of an emergency event. Like, doesn't matter if you at some point don't overthink the nuances of some of these things. If you just get the general spirit of it right, you're moving in the right direction and you're doing the right things. And you're going to be much further ahead than most other people who are not thinking about these types yeah, of things. Totally, yeah. All right. So and, and you know, the debt free journey can take a while, right? I mean, if if you've been living a lifestyle that's uh, that's been overextended and you've accumulated a bunch of car payments and credit card debt and you had some student loans, right? I mean, people talk about, hey, I've got $50,000, $100,000 of, of debt that I need to pay off. Like that can take a long time if if you don't have a, a super high income. And so this that part of the journey can take a few months for some people and it can take a few years for others. Upwards of, it could take someone a decade, right? If they had massive debt and, and they're not high income earners, it, it can take a while. But so once once you hit that that milestone of being debt free except for your house, the next step is your company 401k if you're at a company that offers it. So not every company offers it, but many do. Most big corporations have a 401k plan, which is a retirement plan, and most companies and employers will offer some type of match. And so my recommendation is is you contribute to your 401k up to the company company match. This could also be a 403B yep. if you're, you know, work for a public school or conversations, but same idea, an employee-sponsored retirement program. So Andrew, this is one where I would, back to sort of the exact order, like I personally, even if I, and I did actually, if I go back to like, you know, there were times when I had a car loan and I had mm-hmm. a mortgage and 
and I had some student loans for a short period of time. And I was matching my employers. I was get I was doing the amount of my 401k to get my employer match because that's kind of free money. Yeah. Right. And so I would actually and again, this is not to like debate semantics of like the exact order here. I would almost say two and three are kind of in parallel. Yeah. In a way. You could definitely I've I've had that debate with with some people before to say, hey, forget the debts. You should be contributing to your employer's 401k match because you're giving up free money. Now, the you know, it's just going to take you a longer period of time to pay off the debts. And now if you there's an opportunity cost to that, right? If your debts are high interest, then you actually may be spending more on the interest payments than the company match benefit, right? So depending on the size of the debt and how much longer it takes you to pay off those debts versus the money you're gaining from the company match, it could be it could be better, it could be washed, it could be worse, right? It just depends on your overall situation, how much the match is, how big the debts are, how big your interest rates are. So again, it's very dependent on the personal situation, but yeah, you could definitely make that make that argument. But if you are, you know, if you are in a position where you are debt free, then going into the 401k is is the recommendation up to the company match. Okay, then what? So after you after you've gotten up to the company match, I always suggest that people switch to the Roth the Roth IRA. And so I think I think we've talked about the Roth IRA. It's just a it's a great investment vehicle for retirement. You dollars go in post-tax, but but all the growth is tax-free. And so when you pull the money out at retirement, you you get all that tax-free growth. And so it's super beneficial the earlier you get in on it. I've always talked about, you know, as soon as my kids start making money, I'm going to have them <laughs> be contributing to a Roth, yeah. a Roth IRA because the the compounding effect of, of years, even on those small balances over a 40, 50-year time horizon, they can, they can grow really large. So after after, uh, after the 401k employer match, then you go into the Roth IRA and the Roth IRA has contribution limits and also it has income limits. So you once you hit a certain threshold, the IRS doesn't let you contribute to the Roth anymore. So, so you just got to pay attention to, to those limits and both on the income side and the total contribution you can put into the Roth IRA. And just to give people a sense, in 2023, that limit for a single tax filer is you have to be making less than... $153,000. And if you're married filing jointly, then your joint Maggie actually is what it's called, but it's modified adjusted or Magi, Magi, whatever you call it, is modified adjusted gross income, aka your MAGI, aka Maggie, must be under $228,000. So those are the 2023 numbers. And they're always, you know, they change a few thousand each year, mm-hmm. but they're just kind of ballparking that amount. And then what are the uh, what are the contribution limits now in 2023? The contribution limits in 2023 are you can contribute 65 $500 a year if you're under 50 or $7,500 if you're 50 or older. And then next year they're rising. So for 2024, it's going to be $7,000 if you're under 50 or $8,000 if you're 50 and above. So it went up by 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, just my my simple, my simple math of remember something invested in the market for 30 years, 10x is that investment. So at 8%, 6,500 becomes 65,000 in in 30 years. So you can do some very quick math to see that investing for 10 years in a Roth IRA early in your career can pay huge dividends in terms of funding your your retirement. For many people, simply contributing
contributing to the Roth IRA done at an early age can fund your retirement. Yeah. Okay. One comment and one question, Miss Yuan. My comment is when we did our financial regrets episode, I should have added this to the list. I highly regret when I was younger and eligible for this, not contributing to the Roth IRA because again, it would have been post-tax dollars. I had the dollars at the time. I didn't know what to do with them. And it would have grown tax-free over the last 15 years. And I don't want it that would be look like now. So a regret, but another question. If you are no longer eligible for a Roth IRA, would you replace this one with contributing to an IRA? I think it depends a little bit on on your situation, but generally, yes. I wanted to look up something because I always get to get the income limits on being able to deduct. You, you, can still, you can still contribute to a regular IRA. It's just not deductible. It's just you're able to put... No, it, it doesn't grow tax-free. So if it goes into a regular IRA, you're going to pay taxes when you pull it out, whereas on the Roth, you don't. So it has essentially, it's the same thing as because a non-deductible IRA contribution is the same as a Roth contribution, right? They're both, you're not getting a deduction on your taxes. Mm -hmm. But when you pull the money out on the Roth, you get it out tax-free. But when you pull it out of the IRA, you're going to you're gonna pay taxes on it. So it is, it's different in that sense. And not only do you get it out tax-free, but you actually can get it out earlier without any penalty. Correct. Also, correct? Yes. So it's way more flexible. Yeah, you can't pull it out for five years. But after five years... Yeah, the benefit of a Roth IRA is also the increased flexibility. So yeah, your earnings grow tax-free. So you ideally don't want to pull stuff out early because you want to take advantage of the fact that when you pull stuff out later, you didn't pay taxes on all that growth. But if you do need to access it before 59 and a half, you can take out withdrawals after they've been in there for at least a five-year holding period, which is what the whole five-year conversion ladder is that certain people in the FIRE community are, are very much using as part of their strategy if they have too much money in their retirement funds. So we're not going to get into that detail on this episode, but it is it is another benefit of a Roth IRA because it, it is more flexible to get to your money if you ever need it, more so than a regular 401k. Yep, agreed. Or an IRA for that matter. So on to step five. So after you've you funded your, your Roth IRA to the max, I then recommend that people go back to their employer, your employer at 401k, and you start contributing up to the max for that. And the IRS just release the maximum for that in 2023 is $23,000, I believe. Yeah. A lot of time on the investment walk is spent in the retirement fund category. Yes. Important. Yep. And so, right, if you if you then combined with your Roth IRA, your employer match, and your 401k maxing to that, you're now putting away significant amounts of money into your retirement most people could just stop stop there right when you're when you're putting in those kinds of sums where you're getting 65 or what was it in the Roth the max 6500 for the Roth yeah 7000 actually i mean 7, the combined is Com like 30 grand correct, if correct. You you're putting 30 all, yeah. grand a year into your retirement those those values will add up uh real fast Very quickly, right yeah. and then you know you can you probably don't want to have that much more in those retirement accounts because they are not as flexible right yeah you'll be and yeah, you'll you'll be sort of over invested for retirement. Right. 
What's interesting too is there, there's a couple different angles and strategies on this. So you can, if you're putting in that maximum amount at a younger age, you, you don't have to do it for very long mm-hmm. to be set to where it's just going to come, com- the, the power of compound interest will make that more than you need for retirement. Or what I did, which again, I'm not recommending, I'm just saying it's another path. If you came to things later in life, I didn't start maxing out my 401k to the IRS limit, which we were just discussing until I was in my like mid 30s, maybe 34, 35, somewhere around there, maybe 35, 36. I can't remember the exact year, but basically my mid 30s. But I made up for it. You know, I I aggressively, I did it for six years, Mm -hmm. right? And and that alone is putting a lot of money in, you know, and so you can play catch up if you didn't do it when you were, you know, younger and earlier and you had more time for that money to grow. It's still not too late because I've still got, you know, when I was putting that money in, I still had like 25 to 30 years until retirement for it to continue to grow. So even if you're 50, it's not too late. It's why the IRS limits uh, allow an, an extra $1,000 on a lot of these amounts because they're allowing you to kind of play catch up later in life if you need to. Yeah, the IRS calls them catch up contributions. So you can definitely do that if you're older. Yeah, the other thing that's worth mentioning on the benefit of maxing out your 401k Obviously, it's to put money into your retirement funds, but it also is to reduce your taxable income. So when you put in $20,000 or $23,000, whatever it is, you're paying taxes on $23,000 less. So depending on what tax bracket you're in, let's say you're in a, I don't know, conservative 22% tax bracket, right? That's, or sorry, I did the math wrong. $23,000 times $23,000 times 22%. Why can't I do this? Times 0.22. That's five grand in taxes that you're saving, mm-hmm. right? And again, that's if you're in the 22% bracket. You yeah. could be in a higher bracket depending on where your income is. And so you don't always feel it if you really aren't paying attention to how your taxes are calculated, but that's a massive tax savings. Yep. And, and that's really the benefit of your, you're getting you know, a, a multiple benefits from putting that money into your 401 Yep. All right. So if you've got your your 401k fully funded and hitting the max uh, on that, the next step I recommend is the health savings account. And this one, like we were debating earlier, you could probably also stick this one either parallel to your 401k max effort or even potentially before it. It kind of just depends on your on your situation. So if you are in a in a situation where you're able to have a high deductible health plan, right? You have to have a high deductible health plan. In order to qualify for having a health savings account, so if you if you're a family or individual that has really high medical expenses, it may make sense for you not to be on on a high deductible health plan, so you wouldn't be able to contribute to this. But if you are relatively healthy and don't have high medical expenses in a typical year, the health savings account is super valuable. Maggie and Liz, I think, did a full episode on that. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link in the show, in the show notes. notes we... Great episode on talking about all the benefits. Uh, it's one of the, if not the, you know, the top accounts in terms of tax advantages. And so definitely listen to that episode to hear about all the benefits. So this is uh, an account that I found out about later in life. I probably didn't start contributing to mine until my early thirties where I should have been doing it in my early twenties, yeah. at least mid twenties. Yeah. That's when it can often be most. Right. Most valuable is when you're healthiest is when you're youngest, yeah. right? And it's tax-free growth. It's all these benefits and you're, you're healthier when you're younger and you can probably more likely to swing having a high deductible health plan at that point. 
And so contributing to uh, the max allowable under the IRS regulations for this account is is super helpful. And just to give you a sense of what that is, in 2023, if you're if it's just for yourself, it's $3,850. If it's for a family of any size, it's $7,750. And those amounts go up by a few hundred dollars in 2020. And you know, my strategy on the health savings account at a minimum, fund it up to your deductible. So like if you have a most high deductible health plans can be anywhere from eight to twelve thousand uh, dollars for a year. So at a minimum, you make sure that you have enough built up in your health savings account in order to cover that deductible. If you have a a bad year for for medical expenses, but the more money you can put away, like I've always thought that you know if I don't need to use it, I've had a great life, right, and I've, I've remained healthy. But if uh, I don't think you can ever have too much money in in a health savings account, so continuing to contribute to the max is a great hedge against high medical costs uh, as you age and get older. Yeah, agreed. I'm just a huge fan of HSAs. And and again, the contribution amount for a family is very similar to a Roth IRA amount. So it is an incredibly powerful vehicle when when it's available. I should say available because if it's available, mm-hmm. you should be doing it. If, it. if it works, like if having a high deductible yeah. plan works right. for you, you should totally do an HSA. So it's a win. All right. So next is if you've got kids thinking about college expenses and contributing to a 529 plan. So I'm a huge believer of the 529 plan. I opened my kids' accounts uh, the month that they were both born, and and we've been contributing to their 529 plans all throughout their life in order to fund the fund the college college plans. So Andrew, when you say have it funded again, this is the other ones are like much more specific amounts of like obviously you want to do it to the max, and then you can't do it anymore. 529 could be very open ended. We could do an entire episode yes. on this alone, but why don't you in like give me your elevator pitch on how you're approaching college savings. And like when you yeah. say have it funded, what do you mean? Yeah, like- so this is this is a hard one because it's it's like there's a really wide range and so much of it depends on are your kids going to what kind of students are they going to be? What kind of school do they want to go to? Do they want to go to an out of state uh private school, super expensive, or do they end up going deciding they want to go in state and you get in state tuition. So the range of potential college expenses is super wide. And so my, you know, our thought process and approach has been, let's try and find like the middle where I'm not, you know, t- some of the the private schools right now are literally 60,000 plus a year, right? You're looking at, and then a hundred grand per year for tuition plus right. everything else, everything else, yeah. right? Just insane. And, yeah. you know, by the time I, I've got eight to nine years before my daughter uh, hopefully is, is starting to look at colleges. So those costs will continue to go up. So we've got kind of taken the approach of, you know, a state school could be a hundred thousand for four years and an out of state elite private school could be 400,000. And so trying to target somewhere having in the 200,000 range as a target is, is kind of where we've, where we've tried to land somewhere in that 200 to 250,000 range, um, for, for funding the 529s. So I will say a different, first off, thank you. Cause I think again, all of this is just like your own personal opinion. This is personal finance. You do what makes sense for your situation and your reality. 
And some people would hear you say 200,000 and be like, that's impossible. Like, Mm -hmm. I can never do that. I think a big piece of college savings in particular is the parents' philosophy, right? Like, yeah, your parents, I mean, your kids may decide to do one of a million things. One of my kids keeps telling me she wants to go to the University of Hawaii. That is not an academic decision, she's saying. She would like to live in Hawaii for four years. It's a lifestyle decision. It's a lifestyle decision. I don't plan on bankrolling. I mean, like, go for it. I think it'd be cool if you want to go live in Hawaii for four years. I'm not going to pay for you to go live in Hawaii for four years under the guise of calling it college. So I think so much of it to me is a parental philosophy of what you are willing and able and comfortable. And a lot of it is like social norms and how you Mm -hmm. grew up. And like I grew up, I had a very small, relative to other people I knew, a very small conservative college fund. And that just helped me to have less student loans. And I stayed in state and got, you know, what's considered like a lottery funded scholarship in Georgia. And so I didn't have to pay tuition for four years. It was great. just had to pay room and board. And I was able to, you know, do it with that money and working and money from my parents in real time and a small amount of additional college loans or student loans. And so I I have like a belief of like, I think it's good for kids to have some skin in the game in the decision, right? Like the way I'm saving for college is if my kids end up with a, you know, staying in state and getting like a full scholarship tuition wise, like I had, they probably won't have to pay much because uh, the money I've saved will, will, you know, help their room and board. If they decide to go to a private school out of state, they're going to have some skin in the game, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's a personal decision. And yep. I'm not saying I wouldn't be supportive of it, but we would have a talk. I'm like, okay, you know, do, do you understand the decision and the impacts and everything else? And again, I frequently will give examples also where I'm like, well, if one of them has a really unique talent and something really specific, like I always remember like Embry-Riddle College in Florida. I don't, it's like where astronauts go or something. You know what I mean? Like aeronautics <laughs> right. stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, if there's something where they really go to like Juilliard, a specialty. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. But if they're just like going to get, you know, a liberal arts education (laughs) or something, you know, even an engineering degree, right? There's a ton of great engineering schools that you can go to that are very affordable. And we'll give you the exact same careers prospects. Mm-hmm. Like you are the person you are. You're the, per- you know, your college will give you some experience, but it's not going to like change the type of person or student or anything else you are. And so anyways, my view on college is very much like it depends, right? And I think that funding thing is, you know, again, it could be an episode on its own. Yeah, we should do an episode just on, on colleges and both of our yeah. opinions on it, right? <laughs> yes, there's, there's just, there's so much we could talk about related to college saving, schools of thought and how to, how to... I'm starting to go down the content hole on the effective contribution rate and how to optimize different scholarship sources and other funding sources uh, for different colleges, which I didn't realize are quite as available as they are. So I'm curious. I myself want to learn more about this, and and I'm actually going to do a future episode on it and perhaps many episodes on it down the line. Yeah. And if you don't have kids, enjoy your free time (laughs) and all your extra money. (laughs) Yeah. Skip this step. Probably pay your mortgage off, which is the next step. Yep. Yeah. So once uh, once you've you've got the five twenty nine plan uh, funded, uh, the next step is to is to pay off the mortgage. And we did a whole episode uh, our last week on on the benefits of of that and and why both of us have have taken that approach. All right. So we're al- we're almost at the end of uh, at the end of the walk here. So you've then paid off your mortgage. Congratulations. You are now completely debt-free. And where do you take that mortgage payment that you previously had? The final step on the walk here is just your plain vanilla taxable brokerage account. I always recommend Vanguard. We did a whole episode on that. And and then you you start building that uh, the taxable brokerage account. And the, and the beauty of the taxable brokerage account is you have complete flexibility on it, right? There's no 
restrictions. There's no requirements. You can do whatever you want with it, right? And so if you're if you're going down that fire path and, and you're looking to retire early, having funds in a taxable brokerage account can give you is the ultimate flexible flexibility gives you the ultimate flexibility. And so if if you're looking to early retire, it can be super beneficial to have some funds there that you can uh, that you're able to pull out and and use to fund some of those early retirement years. On both of those, Andrew, we've done more detailed episodes on paying off your mortgage and then also more details about how to invest and what we recommend from an investment standpoint and why we're big fans of investing index funds. So we'll put those links in the show notes if you want to go into like a deeper dive on both those topics. Yeah, we, ha- we haven't gone into allocations here, but I'll give the, uh, if you're not, if you don't want to listen to the, one of those episodes, I'll give you the 30 second view. Uh, with all of these accounts, every single one, company 401k, Roth IRA, HSA, 529, every single one of them will offer some type of S&P 500 index fund. Uh, so so it doesn't have to, you know, we, both of us recommend Vanguard or Maggie uses Fidelity. I like them both. They're, they're both great, but you don't necessarily have to have, almost all of my accounts don't offer those exact funds, right? Yeah. And so just find, I've never come across any of these accounts that don't offer a standard S&P 500 yeah. index fund. Basically every- Neither have I. Right. It, every it, single sometimes one, has a different name right. and you got to like double click name, on it and realize it. it. Right. Sometimes it'll be called like a total market index fund, something like yep. that. And and so we we recommend in all of these accounts when you're making these contributions to invest in low cost index funds across the broad market. Yeah, I would go on to say, and I'm curious to hear what you would say on this, Andrew. I do not recommend choosing the target date retirement funds. So in all of those accounts, particularly your work sponsored ones, there's a you can choose a target date 2050 fund, target date 2055 fund. It's all based on kind of what your estimated retirement age is. There they have some of those total market index funds in there, but they also have very large bond mixes in there. And I mean, that's a whole nother topic, but I'm not a big fan of those personally. Yeah. Typically those target date funds are a little bit more conservative in terms of their allocations. So some of them will have a little bit more, a few more bonds in them as a, from a percentage perspective. So especially if you're in your, your twenties, thirties, even your forties, and, and you've got a long time horizon of, of 20 plus years, even 30 years, then putting them, putting the money all into 100% uh, broad market index fund is, is, is my recommendation. All right. So that's that's our, our view on the investment walk. I know, Maggie, you've talked a lot about your the fear that you've had in your in your twenties and early thirties and the paradox of choice and just you just didn't know where to start and just didn't know how to get into it. And I think a lot of people face that uh, face that dilemma. And so I feel like we've kind of mapped out a very clear, simple this is not complex, right? Like we we've talked about mm-hmm. this a lot in most of our episodes, that it's the simple path. Path, right. Yeah. Uh, re- reference to J.L. Collins. Uh, love the Simple Path to Wealth book. This is not complicated, and it's very counterintuitive that a simple, straightforward approach is actually the best. Um, and it, there's no need to make it complex. It's it's all about saving so you've got assets and and dollars to invest, and then putting those dollars to work in a, in a very specific path that we recommend. But as we've talked about, there are a couple different options you can take throughout this path. But 
I like Maggie how you said at the beginning, like generally you're walking in the right direction. Yes, you could yeah. take some some divergent paths, but ultimately they'll get you back to back to the the end of of being financially independent. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you reference what I frequently do, which is just that time in my life when I felt like I needed a financial planner and I didn't know what to do, and like something like this, yes, would have been very prescriptive and given me the guidance I need. Ironically, what I thought I needed to do at the time. And what I was looking for was help with number nine, which was how to invest. And I had not yet been, I hadn't done a Roth IRA. I hadn't been maxing out my 401k, which was a huge miss for, again, the tax optimization reasons, the growth, everything else. Um, I had been paying down my debt. I had, but I, I hadn't been doing an HSA, which mm-hmm. I could have at the time. Yeah, this would have been incredibly helpful to me. I, I was doing bits and pieces. I was paying off my mortgage. I was paying off my debt. That was it. I didn't know, all, and I was doing my company match on the 401k. All the other things I didn't know. I was just sort of like jumping all the way to the end to number nine mm-hmm. and trying to do that, which again, isn't the worst thing in the world, but there are better, more optimized approaches to take. And again, like like we've said a few times, if you're overly hung up on like, well, I think, you know, you should do number three, which is, you know, fund your 401k up to your employer match before you pay off your debt. Like we're not debating the semantics of like, you know, reversing a couple of these and doing them in different orders or switching a couple of them. But you're moving in the right direction. If you're on this walk, you're moving in the right direction. Yeah. And I think that's the, the big takeaway here. Okay. I hope this was helpful to people. We appreciate you guys listening. We know your time is limited and valuable and we appreciate you spending some of it with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we always appreciate it if you give us a written review on Apple Podcast or you can leave us a rating on Spotify. We really appreciate it. We also encourage you to share this episode with a friend or family member to encourage ongoing discussions about money. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have thoughts or questions, we'd love to hear from you and you can leave a voicemail or text us us at 404-981-3370 or hit us up on Instagram. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Maggie. Bye. Bye.